Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Kingsway Podcast from Pastor Sean. You are about to hear a message from a recent Sunday service. We consider it a privilege to be on a spiritual journey with you. So take a few moments with us and allow God to inspire you today. Amen and amen. Our teachers are important. We often say at Kingsway, if we don't teach our children, our students, our families how to follow Christ, the world will do a really good job teaching them how not to. It must be important. And so today, we're going to celebrate back to school. What does celebrating back to school look like? It looks like this. For some of us, and some of the young adults aren't here today because they're all getting their last-minute vacations in. There's a whole bunch of them are like, this is my last moment to go on vacation, and they're going to celebrate it, not because they're on vacation, because they get to send their kids to school. Woohoo! I'm excited. All four of mine going to school. It's going to be great. So I'll actually get my wife to my own for like five minutes. It'll be fantastic. Um, this is a couple who's just celebrating kids going back to school because the reality is, in just a few short days, school's in session. Church, this has inspired me for the message this morning. We're in the middle of a series. It'll probably be just a two-part series. And today, I titled this message, School's in session. Why? Because you're going to see as we go through the scriptures this morning, you know, what the Lord has shared with me. Um, but most importantly today, you know, there's been a lot of different services over the last month. The summer's been crazy. We've had all of our missionaries come and we've had some guest speakers and some different things that have happened over the summer. Um, and sometimes and with all of our ceremonies, you know, the baby dedications and communion and different things, I haven't been able to really dig into the word of God. So, you know, I- I'm telling you today I'm going to. If you need to excuse yourself right around 12, feel free and do that. But I tell you, as always, the best is going to be last. I'm not Jesus. I save the best for last. So what I want you to hear today is what God has shared with me. This is a Sunday morning to take some notes. You can take out your iPad or your iPhone or take a tithe slip. You can put, on the, put some notes on the back of that. You can write in your Bible. That's okay. There's an exciting next couple of weeks. There's some interesting things going on next Sunday, the Sunday after that, the Sunday after that. And so I'm not going to be able to get into this anymore, so i got to get it all out today. So if you have questions afterwards, come see me. I'd love to talk about it. Amen? So last week, we talked about your desires and what you value and what you desire. And it was, the message was entitled, Don't Feed the Bears. And that's uh, on podcast, and it's, it's basically meant to say that when you feed the bears junk food, they're unable to survive in the wilderness using their basic survival skills because they just keep coming back for the junk food, and that's why Yellowstone Park says don't feed the bears. It's no different in our spiritual walk. If we feed ourselves spiritual junk food all the time, we won't be able to hunt and seek the Word of God the way we're supposed to and uncover the mysteries, discover the secrets of the Word of God because all we do is turn on devotions and, and hear you know anecdotes of things and then we move on about our day and we wonder why we're not living a fulfilling Christian walk that lacks power. If you want power today, don't feed the bears, e.g. don't eat spiritual junk food. Well, what does spiritual health food look like? The Bible's really clear and we talked about this 
last week, so I want to get into it again today and go into a little deeper. Are you ready for that? Okay, I'm ready, so I'm going to preach to you if you're the only one listening. Is that okay? Okay. Last week, I started with this particular idea, starting way back to Genesis, this concept that the serpent coming in the form of this creature, which actually had legs, and it was the enemy, it was the devil, Satan, Beelzebub. The serpent did not tempt Adam and Eve to steal, didn't tempt them to kill, he didn't tempt them to commit adultery, to lie, he didn't tempt them in any area of the lust of the flesh. All the areas we're tempted with on a daily basis, and we say, shame on you, enemy. None of those areas he was tempted in, or she was tempted in. Pastor Chris and I were talking, and he said, of course, of course, the enemy didn't tempt them that way. You know why? Because the Bible says that when you have the breath of God in your life, when you walk in the Spirit, you will flee from the lust of the, cess, the, the, lust of the flesh, that there's no way you can enter into it. It makes me think to one of my friends. I have a friend, and she likes to say, no way. And she means it with passion. When she doesn't want something, she goes, no way. And, and when you are walking in the Spirit, when you have the breath of God in your life, there's no way you can do those things. Okay. So what's Satan do? What can he do? What does he have available to him? One thing, one thing only. He tempts you to dismiss God in your life, reject God's word, dismiss his word, doubt his word, wonder if it's true, gradually and slowly pull you away, a question here, a doubt there, easily rejected, but yet we allow it to come into our lives and we succumb to something easier, something's better out there, just give me the junk food. Sure, the Lord promised me this. Sure, the Lord gave me a word here. Sure, I believe I'm on this path. It's not happening fast enough. 40 days? I can't wait 40 days. I, I can wait 40 minutes. Amen. Today, are you going to reject God's word? And I'm not asking you to weigh my words. Feel free to do that. Measure them, study them, check them, evaluate them. I'm going to show you the Word of God. I have a bunch of slides here of the Word of God. You evaluate those words, and you see what conclusion you come to at the end. Amen? All right, so let me start off with an example. Some of you today are listening. Some of you are attentive. Some of you feel like you're in school. You may even be taking notes. That's good. Remember those little kids up here holding hands? This is what they look like when they're in school. Now, you think... They're running around crazy, and they're going off the walls all the time and throwing things. And maybe they do in our lobby. Maybe they do around here. We let kids be kids, by the way. You know, it's okay to be a kid. It's okay to run around the sanctuary. It's okay to, to say hi and to scream and yell and run around. It's okay. That doesn't disrupt God's presence. God sent these little children to us. Amen? The Bible says, let them come to me and don't get in their way. Amen. That's another sermon. These little kids, when they go to school, the teachers know what they're doing. Trained teachers know how to sit them down. Crisscross applesauce, sit on your color, listen. And a lot of them do. And this is a real picture of kids actually listening to their teacher. Attentive. Hanging on to every word. The Bible says that we are to come to Christ with childlike faith. Many people believe that's just an interpretation of we should just believe everything God says without any factual basis and don't doubt anything because that's what kids do. That's not what my kids do, by the way. 
They, they question everything. And my son has a very deep factual basis. So if that's what God meant, then somebody's interpreting wrong. When I look at this, a whole new mindset comes to mind. Childlike faith. You know what it means to me when I sit down with kids and I go back into school and I watch them learn or I begin to teach them or I sit them here and do a little devotion like I do during VBS? You know what I see? I see this. I see them hanging on to every word. You know why? Because they haven't heard a lot of them yet. They haven't heard all the sermons, the preaching, the illustrations. What we're saying to them is new. It's true. And it helps them grow. That's what school in session means to them. Subconsciously, their body is absorbing all of this information. And yet, what happens to us? We've heard it all. I've heard all the sermons. I've read all the books. I know all the celebrity pastors. I've listened to all their messages, all the podcasts, all the videos. What could Pastor Sean possibly tell me that's new? I'll tell you, nothing, because there's nothing new under the sun. So there's not a single thing I can teach you that's new. Maybe, maybe I can highlight something in the Bible that's relevant to your life, and maybe you'll consider it true. Maybe you'll consider it something to help you grow, and maybe it'll be new and fresh for you today. That is what childlike faith is. Amen. So now you're prepared for the story I want to key off of today. Let me tee up this story. There was a group of people who was expecting a physical manifestation of Jesus. Those are really big words. We say them in charismatic circles to mean like some type of spiritual thing. But let me put it in English. Jesus was about to show up. Now this story, it was actually Jesus. Like living flesh, feet walking, talking, breathing, blood through his veins. Jesus was about to show up. So the people wanted to prepare for Jesus to show up. Now they were going to honor Jesus. They wanted to be around Jesus. They knew he was the Savior, the Messiah, the miracle worker, the Alpha and the Omega. And so they wanted to honor him. And so when you expect somebody to come to your home or you expect, you prepare for that. We do that here. We clean the place. We put the place in order. We do things. We prepare our worship and our prayers and our sermons. We do all these things in preparation for the Spirit, for Jesus to, to come and share his presence with us. And that's what happened in this story. Jesus was about to show up. And so they prepared themselves. And you guys know this story. This story is right out of Luke. Luke chapter 10, verse 42. What does it say? Mary and Martha were there, two sisters, preparing for Jesus. And Martha was doing everything to get right. You know, she's getting the house clean. She's fixing the bathrooms. She's doing the dishes. She's setting the air conditioned. You know, she's taking all the, the dirty clothes and putting it away. Look, when I clean the house, honestly, I swear it's dirtier when I'm done cleaning it because I've just thrown everything in the closet. Everything is a place I can't find it. And when everyone leaves, I have to go back and do it all again anyway. That's what Martha was doing. Mary, on the other hand, was doing, in Martha's mind, nothing. She was sitting there, sitting there, sitting there. And when Jesus came, Martha complained. And Jesus said this to Martha. Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about, say, many things. Many things. Many things. You see, there are so many things in our life that we trouble ourselves with, that we worry ourselves with, that we preoccupy ourselves with. Every one of you has a calendar and a schedule with many things on it. You know what that equals? 
and by the way, this is, I'm speaking to myself. My calendar is as busy, if not busier than all of yours. I compare mine with Pat's often. We're pretty close. His is pretty busy. And he's almost retired. But then he's not retired. He's still busy. So, so we all got things on our calendar. You know what a busy with many things means? It means stress. You wonder why we're all stressed out. Because we're busy with many things. So if you're going to be busy with many things, accept that there's going to be stress and expect that you're going to be upset, upset. And you'll probably even be upset with Jesus when you're stressed out. When I'm stressed out, I'm upset with Jesus. Martha was. Well, she's mad at Jesus. Then Jesus says, now look at this. This is beautiful. Let's tease up the whole message. But one thing is needed. Say one thing. One thing is on this end of the spectrum. Many things is on this end of the spectrum. Jesus is saying Martha is concerned with many things and Mary's concerned with one thing. And Mary chose that good part. Why did he say good part here? This is actually the, the old English King James Version, the good part. And here it's translated as good part because it's meant to say she chose the one thing of the many things. There were lots of parts she could have chose, but she chose the one part. She had a choice to make, and she made it. She chose just one, the good part. What was the good part? Was it spending time with Jesus at his feet? That's how we always talk about this sermon. It is, of course, it's spending time with Jesus. But it's more than that. She's listening to Jesus. She's attentive to Jesus. She's hanging on every word. She's spending time with God's word. But I believe it's even more than that. There's something else here. Why does Jesus call it the one thing? He could have said, but she's spending time with me. She's good. She chose me. That's all she needs. So if I asked you today, what is the one thing you need? As Christians, we'd all say it's Jesus. It's definitely Jesus. By the way, Jesus is always the right answer in Sunday school. Always. Whatever the question is. What's the one thing you need? Jesus. Where does grace come from? Jesus. What's redemption about? Jesus. Just keep saying Jesus. You win in Sunday school every time. Yes, it is about Jesus, but Jesus is trying to elude. There's something deeper, a mystery here that we need to dig into. What is this one thing that he's talking about? What is it? Do you want to know? I want to know. You can look at every translation, New International, uh, New Living Translation, American Standard, Contemporary English, Revised Standard, whatever, whatever version you want to look at. All of them translate this as one thing. I want to know what that one thing is. So I went hunting. And that is what led me to this message. You want to find out what the one thing is. There's a secret in the book of Proverbs. It's in the Old Testament so that's about halfway through your book. You can open it up. It's past that fantastic book called Psalms that everyone loves. Proverbs is this book of lots of interesting things to say and words of wisdom. You can open up the book of Proverbs, and I'm sure you've spun through it before. It's a really easy read. And I've been reading some verses out of Proverbs as of late and last week, and I want to run on to them again today. Proverbs chapter 3, it starts off beautifully, and then it has this part in Proverbs chapter 3. 3 verse 13. Look at this. Let's take a look at this. Joyful is the person who finds wisdom for the one who gains understanding. It combines wisdom and understanding. For wisdom is more profitable than silver. Her wages are better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you 
do you, do you see what that says? Nothing you desire compares to her. Last week, I did this whole analogy and didn't put the word wisdom in there, and it's a little bit racy when you read this. And then you realize, wow, God is talking about wisdom here. He's personifying wisdom. He's making wisdom into a person that he's calling a female in this case. I learned something about that. I went through and I looked at all the cases that the Lord uses a thing, a concept, and attributes it to a woman versus all the time he uses a a concept, and attributes it to a man. You know what the difference is? It was so obvious when you study it. It was so obvious when you look at it. I didn't have a teacher tell me this. I had to go back and look and, and study. It was so obvious. If he's, if he's using an analogy for a man, if he's using the masculine, he's talking about absolute truth, objective truth. It's black and white. It's truth. It's God. God is truth. It was simple. But when he uses a woman to use it as an illustration, he's meaning to draw an illustration of something that's really, really practical, how you apply it to your life. He's using wisdom and he's trying to apply it to your life by saying it's a woman that is something you desire, something that is profitable like silver and gold, something that you would desire and nothing will compare to that. In fact, it says it'll make you happy. The original text is translated happy, joyful, blessed. You want to be happy, joyful, blessed. The Bible says find wisdom. Okay, now you have a foundation. Now you're prepared to understand the rest. Let's look at the next verse. It says, she offers you long life in her, you're watching, in her right hand, riches and honor in her. So in her left hand is riches and honor, and her right hand is, and we talked last week, the Bible constantly talks about hands. Which hand does God give more honor to? Anyone? It's right hand. The Jewish people bless people with the right hand. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. We're going to get to that in a moment. Why is it the right hand? She will guide you down delightful paths. All her ways are satisfying. To those who embrace her, happy are those who hold her tightly. There are two hands in wisdom. One has long life. One has riches and honor. And yet, so many of us pursue one or the other. We pursue wealth and lose our health and then use our wealth to get our health. Or we pursue health and long life and we ignore these other things so many of us that go to school we go back to school and we choose we're going to pursue riches and honor we pursue an end an end result we pursue something that's not meant to be pursued wisdom is meant to be pursued and those things are given are you following yet we use the analogy of hugging wisdom. I didn't use it. The Bible did. It says those who embrace her, when you hug wisdom, she hugs you with her two hands. And with her two hands, she embraces and supports you with what? Long life and riches and honor. Don't run after blessing. Don't run after these end results. The Bible is clear. Run after wisdom. Think of it this way. We don't pursue healing. We're supposed to pursue the healer. We don't pursue salvation. We're supposed to pursue the Savior. We're not supposed to pursue the blessing. We're supposed to pursue the blesser. Are you following me yet? Okay, that's where I ended last week. This week's about to get good. Proverbs 4, you have to flip to the next chapter. You flip right over, it's one chapter, Proverbs 4. It continues to talk about wisdom, and then it says this. Wisdom is the principal thing. There's that word again. Principal thing. Principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all of your getting, get understanding. Exalt her and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. Proverbs 4.7. My thought here is simple. 
I don't think, and I was wrong in this, I don't think our church families, our congregations that we struggle, the, the things that, that hold us back, the things that oppress us, the problems we have, I don't think we as a congregation have money problems, marriage problems, health problems, or miracle problems. I don't think so. I think we have a wisdom problem. The Bible talks about pursuing wisdom as a principal thing. It used that word thing. I went back to the New Testament. One thing, principal thing. How do we combine Greek and Hebrew? You go back and you look at the original words, it becomes pretty awesome when you see it. Here, principal thing. You know what word is used in the Hebrew to describe principal thing? In other versions of the Bible, it's talking about the one thing, the first thing, the chief thing. The word is rashith. Rashith. You should write that in your Bible, rashith. Where is the word rashith used again, and what does it mean? That's how you understand the essence of what God is trying to say here. How about this one? Let me blow you away for a second. I'm trying to tell you that wisdom is the most important thing. It is the chief thing. It is the first thing. It is the thing that needs to be prioritized above all other things. Sean, you're crazy. What do you mean? How about you go back to Genesis chapter 1, like the first one? Just go for the first verse. Don't even make it past the third word. And you see Rashith there again. It says, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, the first thing. In the beginning, Rashith. Ba-Rashith. It says, in the beginning, God did something. It said the first thing he had to do was at the beginning. And God is using that word again to say the first thing, the beginning of your day, the beginning of your life, the beginning of your understanding, the beginning of your blessing, the beginning of your healing, the beginning of your marriage should start with wisdom. It says it right there. Wisdom is Rashith. Now, do you believe me yet? Maybe you need more verses. Before I go into more verses, I point out that this analogy that he's using, God is using here to describe wisdom as a person begins to create this other sense in your mind that wisdom isn't this thing to get. It's more of a person to get a person to find, a person to discover, a relationship to be involved with. So is it a thing? Is it a person? I don't know. Here in Proverbs, it makes it really clear that it's a person using this as an analogy. How about I make it a little more clear for you by skipping around now to the New Testament? What did I find here? Oh, there it is, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 30. Let's read this together, will we? God has united you with Christ Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise your name. For our benefit. Thank you, Jesus. Now look what he did here. God made him, Christ Jesus, to be what? Look, I I'm not making this up. God made Christ to be wisdom itself. Same word. Now look what happens. And notice the order. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy. He freed us from sin. Look, as a Pentecostal holiness church, we talk about holiness a lot. We talk about righteousness a lot. We talk about sanctification a lot. I tell the pastors, don't use those words. Nobody know what they mean. They really don't. Well, here's what they all mean. It's all in the scripture right here. Christ has made us right with God. That's righteousness. You're not good with God. You need righteousness. Christ has made us right. He has made us pure and holy. This is holiness. This means that we can now be in front of God and be pure and holy. He has freed us from sin. This means redemption. He can clean us from sin and now we're free from sin. But so often we get it all mixed up in the wrong order. We pursue holiness. 
or we pursue redemption. You know, you can't have redemption. You can't have the end part free from sin until you're pure and holy. And you can't be pure and holy until Christ makes you right with God. And apparently you can't be right with God until you have some. I didn't make this up. It's right there. Notice the order. Wisdom. Righteousness. Sanctification. Redemption. Big words for theologians, but really smart and simple here. I'm just trying to prove to you that wisdom is first. And I'm also trying to prove to you that wisdom is a person. In this case, it is the person. It is Christ himself, a person. It is first, and it is a person. Where else do we see it first? Well, I can show you probably a hundred more scriptures. How about here's a famous one for you Pentecostals. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about gifts of the Spirit. Nine of them. Pretty important, right? What's the first gift? Take a guess. There you go. It says word of wisdom. Who's the word? You can see how it's starting to fit together, right? Now, let's go back to what we're studying right here. In Proverbs, in Kings, who wrote this stuff? Talk about David and Solomon. Talk about David being a man after God's own heart, prayed for his son to be a great king. Solomon comes into existence. Solomon, 21 years old, has to rule the greatest kingdom in Jewish history. He's supposed to be a leader. He goes to God in a prayer, a scared little boy, just like one of these men here praying to lead the entire nation, not trained not prepared. He prays. What does he pray for? Does he pray that God annihilates his enemies? Does he pray that God is, is going to give him riches and glory? Does he pray for long life? Does he pray for lots of money? What does he pray for? He prays for wisdom. First Kings chapter 4, verse 30. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of East and all the wisdom of Egypt. Look, I got to get this out. I'm excited. You, you hanging in there, right? Still with me, right? Somebody is back there. We get so confused with wisdom. The word is confusing. My dad used to always say, he is wise and I am smart. I was book smart, right? I had no common sense. That's something else we didn't talk about right now. But wisdom, wisdom is something that you was attained with years, right? It's attained by, you know, getting some seasoning, some tenure. Well, maybe, but that's worldly wisdom. And there's a lot of worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom can allow you to build empires. It can allow you to build companies, billions companies. It can allow you to manage governments and manage finances. Worldly wisdom can do a lot of things. But what we're learning right here in 1 Kings chapter 4 verse 30 is that God is saying there is another type of wisdom, a wisdom that is far greater than worldly wisdom. Any of the wisdom of the East, you know what the East is, that's Asia, that's all the Chinese czars and the Chinese magi and all the wisdom and the annals of history were in Asia and in the East. And it's saying all the wisdom of men, all the wisdom of the world, all the wisdom of the East, Wisdom from Solomon was greater than all of that. Let me put it in perspective. There is so much information available today, it is mind-blowing. You can go to the internet and surf anything. You can get so much information, and because of all the information, there are a lot of really smart people. Worldly wisdom has come into existence. And what has happened because of all this worldly wisdom? Let me tell you what's happening. Well, let's see. 
The financial markets are more volatile now than ever. Yeah, the S&P and everything's still going up, but it's still fluctuating like crazy. All the financial minds of the world, all the world couldn't figure out how to stabilize it. Some genius came up with cryptocurrency and all this Bitcoin stuff, and that's more volatile than the regular market. My point is, we can't figure out the market. What about disease? Can we figure that out? No, we've introduced more disease than we have cured them. In fact, the few diseases we have cured in the last two years cost $2.3 million to administer one dose. I mean, just think about this. How about social division? Have we figured that out with all of our wisdom? No, some would argue we are more divisive now today than we were back then. I don't think worldly wisdom has created this, this, this knowledge base that makes it some valuable thing. God is saying greater than all the knowledge and information available in the world is godly wisdom. And so, what did Solomon do with all of this godly wisdom? was the first thing Solomon did with his wisdom? Anybody know? It's a rhetorical question. Hold it. I'm going to tell you. Too many verses, so I'm just going just to read it to you. The verse after this, it says what he did. It says, God granted him this wisdom. It was the greatest wisdom in all the nations and all the lands. God granted him this wisdom, and the first thing he did is he went and put himself together a council of advisors. What? You're the smartest man in ex- You're the smartest man in existence, and the first thing you're going to do is give yourself a council of advisors to give you advice? Does that make any sense at all? Of course it does, because a sure-tell sign of wisdom is that you are teachable. You need to be teachable. And that is a problem with the church today. We walk in this church, we walk into churches all the time. We say, yeah, we have wisdom, we have knowledge. You know, I'm, I'm going to judge how close he is to Scripture. I'm going to judge, you know, how, how right he is and what he's saying. I've heard this sermon before. I know where he's going. I know these songs. I know what the service is going to be like. I know what the end result is. I can skip all that. I'm going to zone out in my mind and I'm going to pursue something else. That's not teachable. That's not opening your mind. You know, I've learned something for so long, for so long, that's kind of a joke, right? I'm not that old, I guess. I don't know, I've been preaching for about 20 years. In earnest here at Kingsway as the the senior pastor, lead pastor, I've been preaching for now about four, and for the last three or so years, I've been trying to preach these sermons that will wow you, that you haven't heard before, so creative that somebody like Jonathan Kahn would be impressed, right? But, But I've learned something. I lacked wisdom. It is not my responsibility to make the word of God acceptable to you. It is my job to make it accessible. I'm not here to make you like it. That's your problem. I'm here to make you get it, to help you understand it. Whether you let that into your soul or not is between you and God. Amen? Solomon was able to listen. He was able to hear. He had a heart of understanding, a heart of new understanding, just like all those children around the circle, just listening like childlike faith. That is the essence of wisdom, allowing yourself to pour in and hear and be teachable. And who's going to teach you the most? Absolutely. The Word of God. Let's keep going. Let's look at Solomon because this is where it gets great. Okay, so 1 Kings 3, it says, Because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or death, 
of your enemies. I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise, understanding heart, such as no one else has had or ever will have. Principal thing. Pursue the principal thing, and you will have everything else you've ever wanted or the Bible has to offer. It's right here. And what is it used for? What is this principal thing used for? This, this wisdom, this teachable spirit, this ability to hear God's word and understanding. What is it used for? To govern. Well, what are you governing? Some of you don't govern communities or nations or states. What do you govern? I have news for you. You govern yourself. You have a life. You're a principal agent. You make decisions all the time. You do not need to go to college to be able to govern your own life. God will give you the wisdom you need to govern. How do you know what governing means? Maybe I don't know what that means. Here is a simple way to recognize if you have wisdom in your life around governing it. Do you ever say these words in your conscious, in your mind, in your psyche? Do you ever say, what am I doing? If you say those words, you got some wisdom in you. It means God's speaking to you. Why, how did I get here? What did I do? What am I about to do? This is crazy. That's what God wants you to get from wisdom, not from the internet. You know, what do they eat? They eat the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Where is all this knowledge of good and evil that Adam and Eve walked upon? I swear it's on the internet. You can get any information about anything you want on the internet. But I assure you, you will not get wisdom from surfing. Surf. Wisdom will not come from there. So what happens? Well, I got to keep getting to it. Let's look here. The next part of the verse says, and I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. Students, we pursue so much. You want riches and fame. Do not pursue A on your test, best networks, best job offers, best opportunities. That's not the way to get it. The way to get it is through wisdom. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. In fact, the only other king that even came close was the one that was better, and his name was Jesus. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands, now here's what's interesting, because some of you know that Solomon didn't end up very good at the end. What happened to Solomon? He got the riches and the fame, did he not? He built the most expensive church on the planet, $200 billion. But what happened? He missed out. How did he miss out? Well, later in life, he surrounded himself by lots of women, and those women introduced him to new gods, and he pursued those gods, and he left God to pursue these idols. And God told him way back in three, he says, but if you want the other part of wisdom, the other hand, the right hand, the important hand, the hand at the right hand of the Father, the hand of blessing, if you want that hand around your back, you need to do something. Follow me and obey my commandments. We all know this, but it says it right there. And says, look what will happen. I will give you long life. One of those commands is to obey your mom and dad. I give you long life. It says it right here. He didn't get that because he didn't obey God. He left him. Luke 2.52. This is maybe the single most important verse for you parents today. Parents, grandparents, parents-to-be. I went back and I looked through scripture and I was trying to come up with a verse for today for you parents that would stick. Jesus Christ, Luke chapter 2, it says he increased in wisdom. Now this is sort of one of those theological what? Well, he is wisdom, but he increased in wisdom. How does that happen? And stature, stature means he grew taller. That means he grew up and while he grew up, he grew in wisdom and in favor with God and men. 
young adults, parents, grandparents today, when you wake up in the morning, before you say your all father, whatever prayer you're gonna say, please add to your daily prayer and make it a principal thing. Put it right there up front, right before you get into the other stuff. The other stuff's obligatory. This is how you get into the power of God. You say, God, increase my life with wisdom so that I can parent my children. And as you do that, Father God, increase my children's life with wisdom. Father God, as they grow in stature, may they grow in wisdom. And as they grow in wisdom, may they grow in favor of the men and women in their life. Your husband and I used to talk about blessing over favor all the time. We came up to the answer is favor. I'd rather have the favor of God, the favor of men than blessing because with that comes so much more and wisdom is the start of that. And I wish I knew that when we talked, I would have shared it with him, but this verse escaped me. I tell you now, your daily prayer should be to increase in wisdom. It's in the Bible. It's the principal thing. It's the first gift. It was in the beginning with Reshef. It is what God wants you to pursue. Are you believing me yet? Let me go through something practical. I don't believe that we have money problems in the church. We're pursuing the wrong thing. Will somebody pay off my debt or, or debt relief or whatever else? No, what you have is you need some wisdom on how to manage a budget. Every single one who has come to Chris and I and our financial advisors in Kingsway with money problems has been solved with a budget. Not a new job, not more income, with a budget, that's wisdom. They pursued the wrong thing. Those who have problems with their marriage. Let's take a, a husband whose wife ran away and uh, he's praying, oh, bring my wife back. Oh, bring my wife back. You know, he's, he's praying the zap prayer. You know, the zap prayer. Bring her back today. Zap. Just open the door. There she is. Well, perhaps, perhaps she left. Perhaps she left because there's something bad in your marriage and a little wisdom would allow you to figure out what that thing is and you can start working on that so that when she comes back, you'll have a healthy marriage. Wisdom, not a zap prayer. Health, pray for health, heal my body, heal my body, heal my body. The Bible says you want long life, pursue wisdom. Maybe you realize you need to do some things. You need to have some fitness in your life. You need to eat differently. You need to pursue. You can't just expect a miracle drug to do it all. Or one prayer at the altar to solve it all. A prayer at the altar may heal you, but it will not give you long life. Miracle. Oh, I just need a miracle. I just need a miracle. I just need a miracle. Really? How did you get in that situation in the first place? Was it your fault? If it was, maybe you need some wisdom. If it wasn't, then let's talk about what, what you're going to do with it when you get the miracle. Some wisdom. Do you see my point? By the way, there's millions of verses in the Bible. I'm just giving you a few. All right, let me start finishing up here. How do you get this wisdom? How should I go about gaining this wisdom you talk about? How do I do that? I'll tell you something clear. I cannot teach wisdom if I or any pastor could, they'd be standing up on Sunday teaching it all to everyone. I can teach you principles. I can teach you some verses. You can write them down and you can study them. How can you gain wisdom? I'm going to give you a hint. I'm going to give you a hint. For the Lord gives wisdom. Proverbs 2.6. Look it up. You want wisdom. It is a gift from God. And church, we spent six weeks. How do we get good gifts from God? Yeah. What word do we use? We ask for it. We ask, we seek, we knock, and he gives it to us liberally. I cannot give it to you. I cannot teach you. You need to ask God for it. This is what's happening here in Luke chapter 10. 
Mary is sitting at the feet of wisdom. The one thing that she chose wasn't just Jesus. It was wisdom and understanding from the very source of wisdom. I'm not talking about truth, black, white. I'm talking about true understanding. That is what Mary chose. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. He says, follow me. He goes right back to Corinthians. You follow Jesus, and now you have your long life. Go to my son and worship him. That's what God meant when he put him at the right hand. You want to get to me? You want the blessing of my right hand? You go to my son, go to his feet, and you worship him. Does that sound familiar? How about December 25 or thereabouts? Somebody was born. And literally, what did all the wise men in the world do? They left what they're doing, and they went to worship the feet of the Savior. You want to be wise today? You want some wisdom? Go worship at the feet of the Savior, just like Mary and Martha, just like the wise men. Go spend some time with wisdom. Wisdom is a person. Wisdom is made manifest in Jesus Christ himself. He wants you to spend some time with him so he can impart to you those very secrets that you need to govern your life and that you need to bring power into your life. And the blessings are riches and honor and long life. And I'm not talking about, well, we'll get on riches and honor and blessing. We did that sermon already. You know what I'm talking about, guys. Is everyone here going to be a millionaire? No, you know why? Because we can't obey God. We gives us so many ideas, and how many are you actually using those ideas? Very few of us. Spend some time with wisdom, though, and begin to experience what God has. Why do we lack wisdom? The Bible's very clear. We lack it because, because why? The Bible says, if anyone lacks, you can ask for it, and he'll give it to you liberally. He'll give it to you without reproach, without finding fault. He'll give it to anyone here, regardless of your spiritual journey. If you are a senior or a junior, if you are old or young, do you get wisdom just because you're old? There are plenty of older Christians I know that are not wise. Plenty. They do not have open minds. They do not have open hearts. They are not teachable, and the things they teach me, I don't want to hear. And there are plenty of young people who have revelation from God. They may both be the exception, but, but that is true because they can ask for it. Why do we lack so much wisdom in the church? Why? I think simply because we don't ask. We don't ask. We don't seek. We don't knock. We don't hunt for wisdom. If we can't get it in one sermon, we move on to the next one. We can't get it in one verse, we move on to the next one. Or it's we don't think we need to ask. I got enough wisdom. I, I, I'm, you know, I've been around the block. I, I know how things work in Baltimore, in churches, in denominations, in conferences. I know how I don't need any wisdom, Lord. So I'm just not going to ask for it. I become stubborn. After this sermon, this point right here, how many of you will ask for wisdom today? Okay. How many of you agree that wisdom is the principal thing? I mean, it's God's word, so you're not agreeing with me. How many of you agree that wisdom can be attained by asking God for it? Okay, 
Now, here's where we get fun. How many of you have asked for wisdom before? How many of you consider that you have received all of this wisdom? A few of you? Okay. Is there more wisdom to receive? Okay. Do you want it right now? 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 Okay. Wisdom is not something I can give you right now. And when God gives wisdom, it's not this instantaneous thing he just gives to you. I asked for an analogy. The Lord showed me this one. If you're not healthy in your body, you're not healthy in your mind, you go to the doctor. He gives you this cycle of drugs or concoctions. He says, take one of these every day. After a while, you'll start feeling better. Or maybe it's, a, it's some type of supplement or, or diet. Does it work after one pill? Does it work after one meal? Does it work after one exercise? No, no, no. It requires a consistent, continual basis, right? Okay, so use the example now of something like water. Water is good for us, right? We're supposed to drink lots of water. Spring water, mineral water, that's really good. It's like the water from God, right? That's really going to keep us healthy. Spring water. If you drink one bottle of spring water the first day, you're going to feel healthy. All of a sudden, kicking out Coke and drinking, you probably feel awful that first day. The caffeine headache, the whole nine yards, right? The first day you ask for wisdom, it's not all going to come to you. You may actually feel dumber the first day. I don't understand all these words. I don't understand. I can't make these decisions. I'd rather go back to worldly knowledge. It's so easy. I can Google it. It's simple. You drink that first bottle of water. You drink it for a long period of time, all of a sudden you start feeling healthy. But then maybe some of you are like me. What's in that bottle? Why am I feeling so healthy? It's not the plastic. What's in this water? I have water coming out of my well. Why don't I feel as good drinking my well water as I do this? Well, there's something pure about this water. There's something filtered about this water. You read on the back and you hear about the Fiji Springs and, the, and all the place areas. You go, there's something good here. So I want to see what's in the water. Where do you go? Do you go to the company, the, the bottler, and say, you know, Pepsi-Cola, let me see your miracle water? No, of course not. If you want to know what's in there, where do you go? You go to the spring. You go here. Now, when you get there and you go to the, the foot of the mountain where the water is coming down, do you go and you take your little plastic bottle and you stick it under that and say, yeah, now I got the purest water. Now I got this healthy water that's going to be so good for me. I have the purest version of this, and now I'm going to drink it and feel better. Is that where you go? No, everyone knows. If I've made it that far, I'm not going to go and drink the water that's dripping off them rocks. Where are you going to go? You're going to climb the mountain. Now it takes work real work. I'm going to hustle up the mountain. I'm going to go to the very top of that mountain because what do I want? I want the water from the very source. I want that. And I'm not using no plastic bottle either. I'm taking my puckered up lips and I'm sticking my face right in there and I'm going to consume that healthy water. You do that every day for a period of time. You're going to feel real good maybe even better the first day than you would from drinking one of them bottles from a fridge. So, how do you drink this wisdom from the source? How do you get this wisdom from Jesus? How do you get it 
from the source. Where did he tell us to go to get it day in and day out? Well, at this point, I was supposed to wait for next week. But I feel if I leave you hanging like this, so I'm going to share one more idea, and then I'm going to dismiss you. Yes, it's from his word. And if you type in Google, wisdom in God's word, which I've done and you can too, you'll see the same thing I do. All the knowledge in the world identifies the same thing that God's been telling us since the dawn of the Bible. Go to the book of Proverbs. So I go to the book of Proverbs, and the first thing I notice is that it's got 31 chapters. Now I say to myself, well, that's interesting, but I'm Jewish. Jewish calendar does not have 31 days in it. So this whole everyday type thing, that can't apply. So I start studying, and I'm reading, and I'm going through it. And then the Lord says this to me, clear as day. I walked with them, Pastor Sean. I talked with them. The Jews had my time. Gentile, I've had my time. Proverbs was written not for them, but for you. The reason there are 31 chapters in Proverbs is it's for the modern day Christian who's willing to walk the mountain to the source. And I encourage you every day, open it up. Today's the day one. Open up Proverbs 1. Read it as you're praying that prayer. You will see wisdom drip off the page. Some days verse 1 will mean something. Some days verse 2. The next month you read verse 1 again, chapter 1, it may doesn't mean the same thing to you. You will see and discover the living word of God come to life every day. Forget your devotion for a second. Put that on the back burner. Do that at the end of the day. In the morning, wake up, pray for wisdom, open up Proverbs. What day is it? It's day two. Read Proverbs two, go through it. And tell me I'm wrong. I didn't do it. I've just started doing it last month. And now I'm promising, how many of you will commit to reading Proverbs every day for one month? Anybody? Watch what happens to you. We at Kingsway hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Sean. It was not by chance you listened to it. God is speaking to you. Visit kingswaycc.org to find the podcast from Pastor Sean. We pray today that this somehow inspired you to draw closer to God and to connect with His people, His purpose, and His power. God bless you.